Welcome to another edition of the I Hear You podcast with Odell Cleveland, Alex McFarland. We're so glad you're here. We've got a great topic today, and we're going to get into that in a moment. I do want to remind you to go to the website, which is IHearYa.show, and that's IHearYa.show. And of course, uh, on Facebook, if you would follow us and like us, the at I Hear You podcast. Uh, also, our telephone number, we have a phone now. Uh, we're moving up in the world, folks, but it's 336-893-4855. Uh, Odell, it's great to see you, my friend. Hey, it's great to be here. You know, it's interesting that we had a some feedback. We always ask the listening audience to share feedback with us, and we got something from one of the listeners, uh, Mr. David Clegg from South Carolina. He says, when I heard Pastor Odell describe how Black mothers and fathers raise their children differently, it sounds like what I see in my house. I can't speak for all white parents, but my wife sheltered our son, almost babied him, and is a little tougher on the girls. As a dad, I felt my job was to prepare my son to go out into the world and let him go. What do you think about that, Alice? That's feedback from our audience. Well, we really appreciate that. And thank you so much for for writing to us. I've got some other feedback from other states, but yeah, I think it resonates with people. And, and like you and I talked about how the moms are very often tougher on the daughters and the sons get a pass. But we, we appreciate that. And folks, these shows, um, we talk about life, family, funny things, yes. serious things, culture, race. Let us know. And maybe also if you have a question like, uh, hey, anything you've ever wanted to ask your white neighbor, but maybe didn't know to ask or anything you've wanted to ask your African-American neighbor, but didn't know to, uh, your feedback might become content for a future show. But please know for each and every message we get, we're deeply grateful. You know, it's interesting, Alex, as a white guy, how, how does it trip you up sometime when it's like, is it an African-American neighbor? Is it a black neighbor? Is it, do, do you, help me, how do you navigate what words are, are am, am I black? Am I African-American? Am I colored? You know, how do you look like that would be confusing sometime to a white guy? Well, and, and, you know, then there's the phrase people of color. Ah, and uh, I'm a color, too. It's just it's just a pale color. Well, remember now, you don't have the suntan yet, Alex. But but hey, it is March. So the sun's coming, coming out. So you know how it is. I just came from the beach from this a um, little while back. So, yeah. How confusing is that for you? Because it's like. I want to say what's right. Exactly. Should I say this? Should I say that? You know, help help me, help the audience understand your dilemma in what do you call black people? Other well, than my friend. Exactly. Other than my friend. You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I think about it ahead of time. Um, is there a preferred nomenclature? Would you rather be called um, uh, Odell is a black pastor or an African-American pastor or is there one preferred? I'll just be called, preferred to call Odell. Odell. You know, exactly. Odell. I got something I got to show you. Now, you'll recall we talked about pink socks. Yes. Okay. Drum roll. I don't have pink socks. Oh, Alex. No, you didn't. No, I wish the audience could see you. Yes, I am proud of you, my brother. I am proud of you, my brother. You see, <laughs> see, Odell and I, we were talking about fashion sense or my lack thereof. So I couldn't find any pink socks. Now, Odell, this is, there was a hit song in the 80s, Sharp Dressed Man. Yes. That could be you. I try. I try, you do. I try. So I go out, and you can't see these folks. I, you know, I grew up on a chicken farm. We we raised chickens. We sold eggs. So, so that means you stepped in chicken poop before. These socks have chickens on them. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And so it's not pink, but... Oh, I can see it now. It's like the a University of South Carolina rooster. I can relate to that. So see, I'm listening. Gamecocks. I'm listening. You may not know it, but I'm really listening. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> when you think about that, Alex, as a brother, you know, I, as, <laughs> on the last show, the audience know how we uh, played with the term brother and how white folks sometimes, not all, but some Christians like, how you doing, brother? And the way you say it, and I said, sometimes it feels creepy to me, yeah. you know, so I stated that. But you are my brother in Christ. I appreciate that. But let me ask a question. As a Christian, as a brother, as a Christian, what does the Confederate flag 
means to you? Well, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. And uh, folks, let me encourage you as, as we unpack this and it's this conversation will go where it goes. This might be one you want to share with people. Uh, I, I want to say this um, and, and I'll explain. I'm not, never have been a fan of the Confederate flag. Now, can I give a little bit of backstory? Um, real, real Southern. Uh, mom and dad, oh man, we, of course, growing up on a farm, I was young and I, I kind of realized that even though we were poor, I mean, we had it hard, but I felt very privileged working in the field, helping my dad grow corn. We grew a hundred acres of corn. We'd rent all this land. And I was young and periodically you'd hear the song Dixie. Mm -hmm. I wish I was in the land of cotton. Old times they are not forgotten. When I was a little bitty boy, you know, I love poetry. Um, there have been times that I was on the other side of the world for this or that trip. And I would be so homesick for the South. Um, my grandmother, fried chicken, um, a hot summer day, walking barefoot through plowed dirt. You know, uh, I love the South. I mean, I love the South. Now, Alex, you get ready to tell me that you grew up on fried chicken and watermelon. I did, man. I, and I can spit a watermelon seed 20 feet. You know what I mean? Hey, by the way, did your grandmother ever teach you how to make funny teeth out of watermelon rind? Nah, I never did that. But, but go ahead. I, I'm, I'm waiting to hear the story. You you had me with, you know, you had me with walking barefoot through plowed fields, dirt. eating fried chicken and watermelon and the smell of the dirt. I'm, I'm, you and, got me on the edge of my seat. And one of my favorite poets when I was a little boy, I had a book called Poems of Childhood by James Whitcomb Riley. And he famously wrote a lot of poems about going to the old swimming hole and things like that. But there was a poem about when the frost is on the pumpkin and the fodder is in the shock. Now, fodder is your stalks of dried out corn. And you'd put them in the barn to make food for the cows. I've done that. I mean, honestly, I feel very privileged. We're in the 21st century. But I grew up doing tasks that probably go back hundreds of years. And there's a thing in the South that's about the third or fourth week of August, and you go out one morning, and suddenly the air has changed, and the hot of the summer is breaking away for the first little inklings of fall. And have you ever looked out across a meadow, and there's this low haze that hangs in the morning? And these are just some of the images of the South, and... Um, sitting in church next to old ladies in print dresses. You know what I mean? All that to say, I love the South, and there's a lot of very special memories. But I want to say, as a kid riding on the school bus in Pleasant Garden, um, there were guys on the school bus that would use words. I'd never heard the word MF, and I won't say what that word is, but imagine the, the rough kids... I had a brand new lunchbox. I was in second grade. And I mean, I was a pretty tough critter, but these these boys took my brand new lunchbox, first day of school, and smashed it. And these were the white guys, the poor white trash, we would call them. And I don't say that with animosity. I'm just, but they would say words like, you stupid MF, with a heavy Southern accent. And it seemed like that kind of guy, the mean, the bad white guy that you're always going to have trouble with would be wearing the T-shirt with the Confederate flag. And from my earliest memory, I despised the sight of the Confederate flag because it, it to me, was that guy who rode around in a beat-up pickup truck, gave you the middle finger in the grocery store parking lot, smashed the lunchbox, and had tobacco juice running down the corner of, it, of his mouth. And I was like, I love the South with a passion, but that is not the guy that I want to tangle with, and it's darn sure not the guy that I ever want to be. All right, fast forward to college, and my second reason for really having a visceral disdain for the Confederate flag is... And, and listen, 
I know we're probably going to have people listening to this that freak out um, and maybe get angry with me. Hang with me, folks. If you followed Alex McFarlane at all, you probably know I have a reason for the positions I arrive at. I honestly believe the Confederacy represented treason against the U.S. Constitution. Now, this right here is a book I would die for. It's called The Holy Bible. And I love the Bible, the Word of God. But second only to the Bible, I would give my life for the U.S. Constitution because I think it represents a lot of wonderful things. And so, Odell, to your question, I've, I've always kind of, it makes my skin crawl, the very sight of the Confederate flag because of the people that I associate with and for fidelity to our Constitution, I believe the Confederacy represented treason against our U.S. Constitution. Wow, I had no idea. You know, that's why it's so important to have these tough conversations, Alice, because a lot of times my bias, my prejudice, my bigotry, my preconceived ideas of white people, in particular white evangelicals, nothing against white evangelicals, but I think that white evangelicals don't always speak up when it comes to race issues, but that's a whole nother subject. Maybe that's a a topic for another day, and I just really appreciate your thoughts because we all have our own experiences, and I have my experiences of the South. I love the South. You're like, oh my God, you're a black guy. How can you love the South? I love the South. I love the South. I've had opportunities to leave, didn't leave. Uh, my family grew up. And when you start thinking about the Confederate battle flag, I look at it differently. Uh, at one time, I always saw it as this guy is a Ku Klux Klan member and all this. And then I started really getting into it. A lot of people wear it for fashion, too. Hmm. So everyone, you know, and, and in a lot of cases, like, why are you involved in it? And the reason I say that, then I'll get back to here. About 20 years ago, my sons were playing high school football, Northeast High, right? Oh, uh, sure. East Greensboro. We, everyone knows that, who's this area. I've actually spoken there. There you go. So right before homecoming, they had a tradition, because we're going to talk about is the flag heritage or hatred. They had a tradition that right before homecoming that morning, the morning of homecoming, football homecoming, everybody understand football homecoming, a lot of the white kids in pickup trucks would have the Confederate flag. They would have Confederate flag. The football players would be on the back, not all but some. We always talk about not all but some on the back of the trucks. And they would be parading, literally like they'd start a parade at the front of the school, drive around, drive through the football parking lot and everything else. And it was okay. Everybody thought it was okay until we started complaining. Mm. It's like, wait a minute, you can't do that. It's like, we've always been able to do that. So for someone to say we've always been able to do something, then that means those who in authority either looked the other way, but didn't stop it. But then when the complaint came, that's when it started. So so that's kind of how, and I know these, some of these kids were in the ninth grade. Some of them was probably even in the eighth grade middle school because the high school and middle school was right by each other. So Unless someone in the eighth grade have that much hate inside of them, not saying it can't happen, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. But much like you, just like you, I despise the Confederate flag. I do. Now, one thing from a black person's perspective, when you start asking the questions, you know, what states or why do certain states adopt the flag or Let's go even beyond the flag to some of the Confederate monuments and what should be done about them. So what's your thoughts on those? Well, and, and by the way, um, just I know we've talked a lot about our families and, and my mom and dad. It was really interesting. My, my mother, who was a school teacher for 28 years, and oh, my goodness, she was a passionate daughter of the South. Ah, oh, wow. And, and my mom loved the South and. I mean, the whole experience from the food to the landscape, never in our house did we have a Confederate flag. And um, now we had some books 
my mom and dad had this big picture book about the history of the Civil War, and there was a Confederate flag in this painting that was on the cover. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting, looking back, and my mother loved the song Dixie. Whatever happened to the book? Uh, To be honest, I gave it away in a ton of stuff when we got rid of, we cleaned, after my mom passed, we, we had... Because like my mom and dad, the 11th commandment is thou shalt not ever get rid of anything. Okay. And we had tons of stuff to get rid of. So it's gone. Um, but we never had the Confederate flag. Now, I want to say this. I know there are a lot of people, like you said, it's a fashion statement. There are a lot of people that um, it's was a co- on the cover of a Leonard Skinner album, or it was just because somebody had it as a decal in their car window, or I'm not saying those people have hate. I'm not. I, I Eventually, before this conversation is over, I want to talk about, as a Christian, my calling to care about. Um, Paul said, if, if something I do would make somebody stumble, I'll never do it as long as the world stands. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. And let me put out here, because, you know, I got a lot of black and white um, folks listen to us. Odell said that the Confederate flag, he despised the flag, but also he understands that some people wear the flag as far as a hat or a T-shirt or this as a fashion statement. Not that Odell said the Confederate flag is a fashion statement because sometimes people are like, well, Odell, you said this. Yeah, I just want to clarify that. But the whole idea, too, Alex, is the fact that when you start thinking about the South and the antebellum South, and for those you know, antebellum meant before the war, then it's like, well, I grew up in areas in the South, and I'm the oldest guy in the room. You know, it's interesting that you go from being the youngest person in the room to the oldest person in the room. So now- Yeah, that's happening to me. Yeah, I'm the old guy in the room. I'm the old guy in the room. But old enough to remember that- Abbeville, South Carolina is a place I talk a lot about in this book I'm working on now, but my family grew up in Abbeville. Abbeville prides itself on being the birthplace and the deathbed of the Confederacy. I take pride in it. So to see monuments with the, uh, what is it called, bars and stars? What's the, the term? You know, uh, right there, yes, yeah. the Confederate flag and the most, most prominent places in the town to let you know and then to go and grow up in Charleston, South Carolina, a city that I love. But Charleston is like a antebellum Disney world for <laughs> so many tourism. People come and they want to see Scarlett O'Hara going with the wind. They get carriage rides from horses. They go visit Magnolia Plantations. They, they, they want to buy from black folk on, on the side of the street. It's just like, and you're like, what is it? about antebellum? What is it about the South? What is it about slavery? What is it about sweet tea? What is it about people come from all over the world to Charleston, South Carolina, the largest city in the state of South Carolina? And I love it. I love it. But to your point, and I I love the contrast that you stated, not that I love the song Dixie. I don't love the song Dixie. However, when you listen to lyrics, when we were little in school, you know, I had all kind of trouble in school. But I remember in the third grade, one of the things that as a little boy, we used to sing, um, we are good sand lappers. Yes, we are good sand lappers. And we're mighty proud to say, meaning that the South, you know, down there, sand lapper, low country. And we would say, we love our fields of cotton on bright September morn. We love South Carolina, the place that we were born. Didn't know how in the heck does a black kid say we love our fields of cotton? We love our fields of cotton on bright September morn. But let me tell you something, though. It's interesting that I was always fascinated with cotton fields. Oh, yeah? When you, yeah, yeah. As a little kid, we would ride from Abbeville, from Charleston, South Carolina, to Abbeville, South Carolina. Abbeville, the birthplace and the deathbed of the Confederacy. But my great-great-grandmother lived there. My, and I ride with my grandfathers because my grandfather was, quote unquote, the father figure of my life. So he would always go to see his mother. Well, and his grandmother. So I remember those are fond memories. See, you could be in a bad place, yeah. but have fond memories exactly. because of loved ones that you're there. Have you ever heard of the famous singer Lead Belly? A huddy Ledbetter was his name. They say he was one of the best 12 string guitar players that ever lived. He's probably been dead 100 years. Lead Belly wrote a song called Cotton Fields. And there's, uh, back in Louisiana, about a mile from Texarkana, in those old cotton fields, 
back home. And so, folks, if you're hearing this and you're not from the South and you don't know what we're talking about, uh, there's just something about, even though the bad, uh, in your case, ancestors of slavery, in my case, poor white Scots who came here. And we were in the same cotton field side by side, picking together until something happened. We'll talk about the something happened in a minute. So go ahead, Alex. But something about home. I don't care how far you go. I don't care what you experience or maybe even achieve. There's something about home. There's always the call of home. And so the Confederate flag, and I want to talk about monuments in a minute. Um, I know there are a lot of people who, for some reason, maybe they can't even explain the Confederate flag. They like it. And I'm not saying they're people of hate. Only God knows another man's heart. I certainly don't. But I'm just saying for me, there was always something negative. Plus, there's an X. You know, it's like this. You know, the Confederate flag is an X. And Mm -hmm. somehow or another, I always perceive that as like a negative thing. Like, you know, get back. No trespassing. Now, I want to say this. I know a lot of the Civil War was about states' rights. And while I love Abraham Lincoln, uh, and I mean, I've taught American history. I've taught constitutional history. I know a fair amount about God and government. But... Uh, Abraham Lincoln marched American troops into an American city, Charleston. And I have never really been okay with that. Uh, So believe me, folks, I know a lot of the dynamics about Civil War. Um, I would say this. I get nervous when we talk about tearing down monuments. And um, even if we don't revise history, the erasure of history opens the door for a revised history. So here's a question, Odell. Could we, and, and if, I, if I never see another Confederate flag again, as long as I live, it'll be A-OK. Uh-huh. But in terms of our monuments, not to approve of the Confederacy, not to try to say that we should go backward, of course, but just to keep our history um available for future generations to understand. I I do get a little nervous with the tearing down of monuments because, I mean, here in 2020, we saw Teddy Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, over 200 monuments related to the birth of America came down in 2020. And see, Karl Marx said to turn a country socialist you have to erase their history. And so for that reason, I do get nervous about the tearing down of monuments. So your question to me is, could black America, understanding that we're for equality, we're against slavery, we're against racism, but could black America be okay with the keeping of historical monuments just so that we can at least maintain a sense of context for our nation? Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I see exactly what you said. So I can't speak for all black Americans. I could speak for Odell Cleveland, the good looking black guy. <laughs> One of the things about you stated is documenting one's accurate history. When you start looking at the monuments, a lot of time the monuments were originally, and I'm going off the top of my head here, the monuments originally in the cemeteries for the Civil War dead. Uh, dead exactly. They were in the cemetery. And honored that. No problem with that. None at all. Then this thing comes along called the lost cause of the Confederacy. So the lost cause of the Confederacy to the point is rewriting what happened and why. It's a myth. Well, Disney World, Charleston, South Carolina, Disney World of the antebellum South. Just like when you go to Disney World in Florida and you see Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy and the kids go crazy. Nothing's real about Disney World, but it is real. Nothing real about the antebellum South, but it is real. So let me finish um, answering your question, and I'll try, audience, my passion, because this is real to me. So when you start dealing with that, the lost cause, so they change it. So it's like, when did the monuments start going up? Well, the monuments start going up right before, you know, civil rights. You know, Jim Crow, we was dealing with Jim Crow. The war was over. It wasn't any monuments when the war was over, of course. The war was over, so now all of a sudden, Jim Crow. Suppressing black people, killing lynching, all this kind of stuff. So now someone, and it's usually our good friends, the daughters of the Confederacy, 
I think you said your mother was a member of it. Correct? Uh, uh, D.A.R. Daughter of the American Revolution. Okay. Oh, American Revolution, not the Daughters of Confederacy. Correct. Because I was getting ready to say, yes. okay, the Daughters of the Confederacy, because I grew up in Charleston, yeah. they were a big push behind putting up all the monuments. Right. And I said to myself, who in the heck made Karen great-great-grandmama mad? Somebody yeah. made Karen great-great-great-grandmama mad, so she went and raised all this money. I know you laugh at me, Alex, but she raised all this money and I put know. up these monuments all over the South. Karen is still at it again. Karen. Yes. Karen is one of the biggest issues to me as a black man. You're like, Odell, what, what, what's, what are you afraid of? Not that I'm afraid of Karen, but Karen acts crazy. I could be minding my own business. Karen minding her own business. Karen stops with her phone, with her camera, take a picture, call the police. Odell Cleveland, the good-looking black guy, is doing this. Karen, 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 my God, what's the issue with Karen? But let me get back to my point. Uh, there have been Karens in every generation. There has been Karens. In, in Karen said, hey, the war is over. We're going to raise all this money, and we're going to put Confederate monuments all over the South, and we're going to rewrite the story. So your thing is, as black people, can we understand the monument? If the history is wrong, Alex, if something is wrong, to let it stay as being wrong, then that's not right either. So imagine this. Imagine the South that I like, South Carolina that I love. Imagine the fact that I'm going to paint this picture for you. Karen or anyone is standing there with their left foot, right, mm -hmm. in the state of South Carolina, planted squarely in the city of Charleston. In her right foot is planted in Columbia, South Carolina. You know the state, so Columbia is halfway up. Yep. And her hand is open up toward Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. That's where we have all the new industry, the BMWs and the international plants coming in and everything. So her, her, exactly. So her right hand is open, but her left hand is like, 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 clenching to it, clenching to the monuments back in Charleston, because her left feet is in Charleston. Clenching to the monuments, to the fact that she has white knuckles. She don't want to let it go. So when John Calhoun monument came down, we celebrated. As black folk, we celebrated. As a, as a person who grew up in Charleston, who walked by that monument for years. Because I went to a school called Bruce Elementary, which is right across the street from Mother Emanuel Church. Mother Emanuel Church, for the listening audience, is where Dylan Roof killed a lot of folks, Charlestonians, after sitting in a Bible study, including the pastor. Now, mm -hmm. one of the places where our friend, the Confederate flag, showed up is when you did the research on Dylan Roof, Dylan Roof was a big fan of the Confederate flag, and Dylan Roof's motive, a lot of times mass shootings, what's the motive? What's the motive? Dylan Roof said his motive was to start a race war. Yeah. So back to Karen, standing there with her holding on to Calhoun's monument, white knuckles holding on, just like how we would get on a roller coaster ride. Well, Calhoun came down. The reason why Calhoun came down, not because of what Dylan did. When Dylan Roof killed the pastor, that pastor was a state senator in Columbia, South Carolina. So that brought the flag down from Columbia. So South Carolina and the rebel, we, we have a history there. So now all of a sudden, in South Carolina, the state I was born in, the state that I love, the Confederate flag was on the top of the Capitol. Yeah. And the Confederate flag, a lot of people don't understand, was inside the chamber. When we won the national basketball championship, they brought our team in and gave our coach, I think it was the Palmetto some trophy from that perspective, and they brought the whole team. Imagine this. A bunch of black folk, basketball players, standing in the front of the, uh, inside the chamber of the Capitol, and behind it is three flags. It was the American flag, the state of South Carolina flag, in the Confederate flag. Was the American flag higher than the other two? I can't remember. I think it was. Yeah, I can't okay. remember. But it was there. Three flags was there. So South Carolina is telling you where they are. So you fought to get the flag off the Capitol, but then it says as a compromise, we can still put it on the grounds. And it used to be on the grounds in the front. Okay? Now, once the gentleman got killed, then Nikki Haley, at the time was governor of South Carolina, and Nikki Haley, with the pressure, got the flag down. So that's how the Confederate flag ended up in a museum in the state of South Carolina. Now, back to my point, though. 
when this happened, I used to ask God this question. I said, which one is higher, God? Which one is higher? Is John Calhoun's monument that's 116 feet tall, is it higher than the steeple on Mother Emanuel Church? Is that power, God, stronger than your power? And I know the answer was no. So when it came down, it was confirmation for me to say, it can't stand. That lie can't stand. And the thing about Calhoun and the thing about Karen, who's sitting there grasping, Calhoun's statue was made that his behind was facing the north. And what we say in South Carolina, intentional. intentional, so the north could kiss his behind. That's the way it was done. Check the records, you'll see what I'm saying. So when Karen's standing there with her left foot in Charleston, her right foot in Columbia, with her hand reaching toward Greenville, Spartanburg, reaching toward the future, and coming here, you know, that other hand grasping, and then you sit and said, how's the picture painted, Odell? Show me what the picture's painted. This is how the picture's painted. The picture is painted with the red clay of Upper State. We used to call it the clay eaters. That's where my family's from. Yeah, the upstate. The upstate of South Carolina. Then the black dirt, the middle part of it. Then it's planted with something, and also something, Alex, and it's all mixing together, called the muck, the marsh, the mud. When you go down to South Carolina, you see the marsh. That's that low country. That's that area where the tide come in and the tide go out. And then it's the sand of the beaches. So you have all that mixed together with the blood, sweat, and tears of my ancestors. All that's mixed in together, and then we take something called a cotton plant. A cotton plant with the stalk, and we use this as a paintbrush. So we take that cotton, and we mix it in with the blood, sweat, and tears, the clay, the dirt, the marsh, mud, and and the sand, and we paint the picture of Karen. And that's the picture. It is history. It is heritage. But it's still the future. So my question is, when we, as Christians, when we say in the Bible, the scripture says, without a spot or a wrinkle, can you enter in? Is racism a spot or a wrinkle? And if it's a spot or a wrinkle, or maybe even a stain, Alex, as Christians, you're white, I'm black. How do we get that stain out so we can enter in? The love of God. The love of God. And I appreciate you sharing this. I, I really do. Uh, I got a I got a thought I want to run by you, but the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, First Corinthians thirteen, and John eight thirty two says the truth will set you free. You know, uh, as a country, we have got to be a people willing to embrace truth. You know, as you and I record this, and you mentioned Dylan Roof, which that was heartbreaking. And uh, I've, I've told you about how my wife and I were in um, a sister church to Mother Emmanuel the Sunday before the Wednesday where Dylan Roof did that heinous thing. But just 15 hours ago in Colorado, there was a mass shooting. Ten people did. You go there all the time. You, oh. travel, to, you travel to Colorado at least what, two or three times a month? Uh, one to two times a month. So you're telling me my friend Alex, who I love, could have been in that grocery store. That's Easy. what you're telling me? King Super. That's the great King Super. Been in that store 30 times. Easy. That could have been me. How, how I wish, because as you know, folks, America, the Declaration, the Constitution is based on Exodus 21 through 17, the Ten Commandments. Commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. Could you imagine what, and and by the way, folks, this would not violate the First Amendment. And believe me, I know the history, the writing of, and the legal application of the First Amendment. Could you imagine if President Biden would come on TV and say, folks, um, all people are made in the image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God, have inalienable rights, life. And you can't legitimately take away an inalienable right. Now, it can be taken away, but not legitimately so. I could take someone's life. I could steal their freedom. I could interfere with their dreams and their pursuit of happiness, but it would be illegitimate. Kennedy said that. The founders said that. Now, could you imagine if Biden came on TV and said, folks, uh, our Constitution says people are made in God's image. Murder is wrong. It's a violation of uh, the Sixth Commandment. It's a violation of our conscience. The answer is not to turn this into a police state. The answer is not to take away Second Amendment rights and ban guns. The answer is that we have to acknowledge God, morals, and every person's accountability to those. 
um, we, I've said this, and you and I have talked and agreed and disagreed. I truly believe the future of our country, the stability, I could say Christian love, and that's important, but we have to be a culture that acknowledges morals. Murder, and we have to tell our kids, it's not Dylan Roof and some fairy tale myth, lost cause. Folks, I know the lost cause ideology, it's, it's a delusion. Now, I want to ask this, and I, I ask it carefully. Just as we moms and dads have got to teach our kids about love, not hate, could black America teach their kids, please don't obsess too much about the past and always, uh, this is my, my fear, I worry that black America wastes too much bandwidth being aggravated and angry about the past. I, I agree. There's a lot wrong with the past, but we can't do anything about it. There's no saying the best defense is a good offense. And I mean, I've talked to angry black people at universities and, and I've said, look, I'm not saying the past was right, but you're going to waste your future obsessing about the past. Wouldn't it be better to let's keep moving forward successfully rather than ju just as, as a white guy should not invest himself in a past that didn't even exist like he thinks it did and it wasn't right? If it existed like you think it did, it wasn't right. But should black America not squander the present and risk the future by staying angry about a past none of us were there and none of us can change? Can I answer that? Please. Good. And I know for the audience, I know the sincerity of Alex's heart in asking that question. And Alex, I would say, if it was the past, and let me explain. When you start thinking about the Confederate battle flag, in 1956, Georgia redesigned its flag to incorporate the Confederate battle flag. In 1962, South Carolina started to fly the Confederate battle flag over the state building. In 1984, the state of Mississippi adopted a flag incorporating the battle flag, and it only changed in 2021. Now, you talk about the past. 2021 is 2021, and I think we're still in 2021. Yeah. So the past, it'd be nice if Black Americans could walk away from the past, but the past follows us. or And so it's like we're walking, but the past is still there. So when you start thinking about the monuments in Civil War, then those monuments, by 2016, more than 1,500 symbols of the Confederacy were in public spaces. So we have to walk by them every day. By 2019, more than 138 have been removed. So it's not like out of 1,500, 138 have been removed. And again, back to my point, the most influential group Building the monuments were the Daughters of the Confederacy. The group was founded in 1894. Of which my mother was not a part. No, I get it. I get it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying to you is this. Will the Daughters of the Confederacy move on from the past? Do we ask them? Martin Luther King Jr. stated when he had the dreams, he said, from the Stone Mountains of Georgia. It wasn't just symbolism. He understood what Stone Mountain Georgia represented. He understood that Martin Luther King Jr. was brilliant from the Stone Mountains of Georgia. What does the Stone Mountains of Georgia represent to you, Alex? Well, if, if you're referencing the park there with the big sculpture of the, the horsemen of the Confederacy, do you know? Yeah, who was the horseman? Who was the horseman there? Uh, well, for one, it was Andrew Jackson, wasn't it? Okay. And the other two, I don't know. Was it Robert E. Lee? Right, yeah, Robert E. Lee, Andrew Jackson. Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis. And General Stonewall. Yes. Stonewall Jackson. That's right. And the whole idea is that our men fought valiantly, valiantly, valiantly. Not that you were wrong. It's almost like an abuser never admitting to the one that they abused that they were wrong. C case in point, and, and I'm still there. I'm still with you, yeah, audience. I'm still with you. I'm asking now some questions you. on reconciliation. Why can't we all just get along? I think Rodney King said that. Why can't we all just get along? Alex said, why do we squander, interesting words, but I love you. Why do we squander going forward? Okay, 
Reconciliation. During the 1800s and 1890s, white veterans from both sides started to talk and forgive each other, holding gatherings in Georgia, Indiana, Illinois. Black veterans, talk about the Civil War, also gathered, but instead drafted a statement seen in the Daily Inner Ocean on October 3rd, 1887, to be the duty of the government to remedy the evils until the colored man shall have equal protection under the law. Another point, black veterans were excluded from the Civil War reunions and commensurates cause of the conflict were ignored. So the whole idea, and this is one that just blows me away, but you know, the truth, truth is the truth. Facts are facts. Woodrow Wilson said at the Peace Jubilee at Gettysburg, we have found one another again as brothers. Back to brother. Remember that whole thing, me and you talk about brother. We have found one another again as brothers and comrades in arms. Enemies no longer. Genuous friends, rather. Our battles long past. The quarrel forgotten. Except that we shall not forget the splendid valor, the manly devotion of the men then arrayed against one another, now grasping hands and smiling into each other's eyes. So that's what, so, so, so the history, when white folks like, okay, it's over, let's get over it, let's move forward, but won't allow the black man, the colored man, the African-American man, what else you call me these days, Alex, all these men to even be involved, but you say to me, and I know your heart, so I understand where you're coming from. Why don't you just move on? And we're like, but history won't allow us to march forward because history marches with us. The Confederacy marched with us. The South will rise again, march with us. When we go, even to this day, I have a client called, um, called Black Cotton. Young man, brilliant young man. He said, culture is our, cotton is our culture. When he raised black cotton on his land this day, I'm talking about, I went and saw him two weeks ago, and he takes it to the cotton gin. In his mind, Alex, he knows that he has, let's just say for lack of a better term, 20 pounds of cotton. When it comes out the gin, they say, well, all you have is 16. What happened to those other bales? He had 20 bales and 16. What happened to the other four bales? Now, he doesn't own the cotton gin. So here it is. But that's the same argument that people have been using for 200-something years. Black folk taking the same cotton that's in my hand right now. And in those days, we didn't have a machine. So this hole would cut the hands. Yeah. You, talk about, you talk about a paper cut? You talk about a paper cut? We cry over a paper cut. How do you think this hole picking cotton cut and bruised my ancestors' hands? That's part of it. So now all of a sudden, inside this cotton is something called a seed. The cotton seed was the big issue because the seed, like anything else, we talk about a seed in the ground, the seed produces the bounty. Yeah. So if I sold you, Alex, a black man, a lower quality seed for the same price I sold Odell, a white man, for that seed, then I'm going to get better results just because of my seed. True, true. Uh, you know, let me say this. And by the way, you brought in a couple of uh, pods of cotton. I don't, or a, uh, a, you know, cotton ball with the shell and the husk. You, uh, if folks, if you've never felt one of these, you ought to. And I can only imagine how, how painful it must have been to pick these things. But you know, here's a thought about America. In India, they have the, the, the Dalits and the untouchables in the lower class. And if you're born a Dalit, you'll die a Dalit. In Europe, they had the monarchy and the different strata. And if you were a commoner, you would die a commoner. One of the thing now, for all of our failures and foibles, one of the things about America, we are not bound by our past, our social or family status. And... Um, I, one of the reasons I love America and Woodrow Wilson's poetry there, we can smile in each other's eyes, now brothers, um, you know, and at the time he said those things probably wasn't really true in the Jim Crow South. But one of the reasons that I, that I, I want people to care about this country, 
I'm going to say this as a citizen, then as a believer. Okay, first of all, we live in a place, no matter how messed up your past was, you don't have to be a victim. And, and, and the past might follow you. And you might see monuments or symbols that have bitter associations. But in America, if you work hard, live right, and say your prayers, you can go places. But the other thing that I would say as a Christian, um, the Bible has a concept called grace. And in a fallen world, there's no guarantee you're not going to get mistreated. But just as God showed us grace, we have to show each other grace. And I, I realize what I'm about to say is going to sound really easy to say. I would ask black America to show the grace of God. And I know you have, but, and I would ask white America to remember that Jesus said, if you hate your brother who you can say, don't be say, if you hate your brother who you can see, don't be saying you love God who you can't see. And if any man hates his brother, the love of God is not in him. That's in first John. So we need love and we need grace. Alice, you know, it's interesting that you stated that because that's one of the issues in the black community right now, the whole issue of grace and forgiveness. And we don't mind forgiving. That's what happened after Dylan Ruth. That's what amazed everyone when people thought Charleston would burn down and rise everywhere. The family said, we forgive you. But the question is, how much forgiving does white America want black America to do? Forgive me for racism. Forgive me for slavery. Forgive me for raping black women. Forgive me for hanging. Forgive me for stealing land. Forgive me for torching. Forgive me for burning down churches. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. And how much forgiveness does white America want black folks to do for America? Forgive me for everything. But at the same time, um, I got an email the other day from a group called the Members of the South Carolina Heritage Community. Email talks about the American Heritage Heritage Association of Charleston-based nonprofit has been engaged with South Carolina state legislators to put together legislation to seek to provide greater protection in historical monuments and prevent historical plaques from being editorial pages for activist viewpoints. The bills consisting of House Bill 3249, Monument Protection, sponsored by Representative Bill Taylor, and House Bill 3326, Historical Plaques Integrity, sponsored by Representative Stephen Long, blase, blase, blase. So, and this is from the Confederate, Sons of the Confederate Veterans, and it's a big Confederate flag, and it started in 1896. Mm -hmm. So you say, forgive me, forgive us, forgive us. We want black folks to forgive white folks. We want black folks to forgive everything. And what I would say to not all but some, because again, I'm not questioning you like you're on a witness stand. I'm questioning you for better understanding. Wouldn't it be nice if those who hate and despise and use and abuse black people would just stop? Systemic racism, would it just stop? So it's like you beating your wife and you say, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm drunk. I'm this, I'm this. Sooner or later, wouldn't it be nice if you just quit, not you, Alice, of course, wouldn't it be nice that you quit beating your dang on wife? Dang on, dang on, almost slipped over me, Alice, and almost slipped. He almost had me, almost had me, Christians. Dang on, wouldn't it be nice if you just quit beating your dang on wife? And the reason I say that, Alice, and as we wrap up is this. As Christians, we're going to face God. And it's a scripture that you and I both know well. And I want you to talk about this. When you talk about Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, that's one side of the story. Just like I painted the picture using the cotton the cotton as a brush. Tell, tell the artist, remind us Christians, white and black, rich and poor, about that scripture. Well, in Luke chapter 16 in the New Testament, uh, there's a poor man named Lazarus. And he would have loved to eat the crumbs that came from the rich man's table, uh, but he was poor and he died. And it says he was carried to uh, Abraham's bosom, which is paradise, heaven. Uh, The rich man died also and found himself in hell. Now, I I do want to say this. It's worth pointing out. The poor man didn't go to heaven because he was poor, and the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. Right, correct. I've known uh, sinful poor people, and I've known 
very godly rich people and vice versa. But anyway, um, I will say this. The rich man said, Father Abraham, look, please dip your finger in water, put a drop of water because I'm tormented in these flames. Uh, and Abraham says, nope, life is over and there's no going back. And you're where you are. Lazarus is where he is. I will say this. There's many, if we had time, we ought to unpack this. But one thing about the rich man, the opportunity to do right, to love God and your neighbor, you only have that opportunity in this life. And after we're gone, there's no second chance. So, so folks, while you have opportunity today, say your prayers, work hard, live right, love your neighbor. You know, Alex, one of the takeaways that I have is the whole idea of romanticizing the South. Mm-hmm. You know, Africans were black, black over here. And a lot of our women were raped by white men who look like you. Just remember, when you see people, especially people of African-American descent or colored people, or people of color, we range from black people who look almost like you to black people who are a ton darker than I am. And it was a system in place that said, if you have one drop of black blood, one drop, then you're black. So when you look at light-skinned black people, uh, whatever you call us, think about that. Think about that and that whole system that was in place that men violated women, took babies away, snatched babies away from the mother's arms, sold families, sold families. So bitter, mad, pissed off. Yes, I'm all that. Christian, forgiving. Yes, I'm all that too. But at the same time, what happened was a crime. Charleston is a giant crime scene fingerprints, DNA everywhere. And that's just the truth of the matter. And God see it. And as people of color, we're not going to forget it. But Alex, I love you. I hear you, brother. I hear you, Odell. And I want to say to everybody, thanks for listening. Stay in touch. Think about these things. And uh, our website, IHearYou.show on Facebook, uh, social media. I think we're helping people think. And I think we're helping people understand and we're helping people care. So thanks for listening. Thanks for your involvement and support.